and welcome to the Gaula Mama Show, your place for everything pregnancy, birth, and babies. I'm Sylvie Goodman, midwife, doula, mommy, and the host of the Gaula Mama Show. I'm here today with Leah Prisarovich. Hi, Leah. Hi. <laughs> and she is a psychotherapist specializing in helping parents heal with all the mixed emotions children bring up dealing with anxiety and connecting and improving relationships between parents and children. Leah runs a postpartum group for mothers and babies in Renana to discuss these issues, figure out how to deal with them and bring back calm to the home. What an amazing topic. I think we could, we could probably make this into an entire series alone. Thank mm -hmm. you Leah for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Wow. So before we even launch into this deep dive, I would love to know, how did you get started in this field? How did I get started? Always wanted to do? <laughs> Not really. Um, my mom is a psychologist. It was always kind of in the family. Um, but I didn't really know. It kind of just, you know, happened. And uh, I studied and I found things that were interesting and it's only quite a recent thing that I've become that I've started specializing in the anxiety aspect of uh, therapy it's something that I experienced myself uh, growing up in South Africa and uh, experiencing anxiety on my own I mean everybody that lives there experiences anxiety anxiety actually becomes normal um, being there and a lot of the time it you know it influences our lives in so many different ways and it influences people's functioning and um, it's become a very big you know, part of, of my life, but also of helping people get through it because I've been, been able to get through it on my own. Um, so in a nutshell, that's, that's it. That's amazing. So you live in Renana. How many children do you have? I have four children. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. What are their ages? So my eldest is eight and then I have a six-year-old, all girls, um, a two-year-old and a six-month-old. <laughs> so oh. she only just recently started Mishpachton. So Wow. Um, I also incorporate a lot of my personal experience into my work because how I was with my first and how I am with now with my fourth, it's a completely different ball game. And, you know, the anxiety that I can feel as a mother and the fact that she doesn't want to take a bottle and, and eat, you know, the anxiety comes in, in so many ways and, and affects so many different things in our lives. Um, so it is amazing to see how much I've grown as a person and how I can incorporate this in my work and help people get through it as well. And as a mom of four girls, I imagine you're somewhat of an expert on emotions by now. <laughs> you can call me an expert of emotions. I mean, <laughs> um, it's very much a part of our everyday uh, conversations and it comes into, into that. And then also my work, I, I incorporate it in my work a lot. So yeah, it does become an everyday language, you know, to talk about it and and become aware of what we're feeling and, and it's a language that you do get you, you do get used to when you when you incorporate it in your everyday language and conversations so, yeah. wow so i don't even know where to begin i can just think of pregnancy childbirth postpartum um you know first baby integrating after you know further baby there's so much to talk about there's so much to talk about between you and your baby between yourself your spouse it's endless so why don't you just get started and i'm going to be listening and learning and enjoying this okay so basically 
um, anxiety can come in so many different forms and at, at so many different times. If we want to talk about postpartum anxiety, which is, you know, the kind of uh, people you want to want to educate, postpartum anxiety can start anywhere from the, the moment that the woman determines that she's pregnant, the moment she realizes it, and it can happen straight after the birth, it can happen a few months after the birth, up to the child's first birthday. So there's a huge spectrum of when postpartum anxiety can, can start and what it means. And basically, um, I mean, I'll give you a little explanation of what anxiety is. Basically, we have some kind of trigger which causes us to have a thought in our head. And this thought can be a catastrophic thought of something bad can happen or um, something, you know, I'm a terrible mother. It can be any thought and every person's uh, understanding and, and interpretation of different things will, will have a different thought basis. Um, but the, the fact that it's, that it's uh, anxiety is that this thought um, causes us to feel anxiety. Okay, so I'm gonna start and just give you a, a, an example. If we see a snake, okay, you see a snake on a table, um, our automatic response is to feel fear okay we're gonna a part in our brain called the amygdala is going to be activated and we're going to be able to react based on our um, survival instincts that we have fear sets off something in the brain telling us that we either have to fight kill the snake we have to flee we have to run away from it or we have to freeze and play dead so that the the snake doesn't attack us so sometimes i mean most of the times we don't have control of how over how we're going to react in a in a dangerous situation and those are the three ways that we can react so having fear is a great thing but what happens when we have anxiety is that we have this continual fear and we're not able to get rid of it so a lot of the time um um well firstly it'll cause us you know all these like heart uh, our, our heartbeat will will increase we'll start sweating we'll start we have all these physiological symptoms that'll cause us uncomfort It'll also make us, make us physically and, and emotionally exhausted because we we on this like adrenaline all the time, um, and uh, it's great if we if we're in a fearful situation we need to react. So the problem is when we have this and you know we keep we keep um, what's the word we keep reacting the same way even when we're not in a dangerous situation. So for example, if you're thinking all the time, I'm a terrible mother, you know, if I don't respond to every cry, what does that mean about me? Um, then we may feel those, those kind of physiological things at the same time. So we're always going to be anxious. We're always going to be worried about what's going to happen. We're always going to be, you know, overthinking things and not able to react from a, from a calm place. Um, I mean, I, I want to like give you different examples, but uh, I don't really yeah. know which way to go from here. No, examples are great because they really bring it to life. So I, okay. yeah. Okay. So um, if I want to talk about my own personal experience, basically how I was with my, my firstborn was a lot of the time I felt like I needed to respond to every cry. Um, you know, if I don't, if I have to stop for a second and do something else, you know, I, I started thinking all these things, oh, I must be a terrible mother if I'm letting my, my child cry even for a couple of seconds. And, you know, I started getting, getting all these thoughts into my head that if I'm not perfect and if I'm not doing exactly what I'm supposed to do, then, you know, I'm going to ruin what goes on and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have all these consequences basically of what's going on. Um, so a certain amount of these thoughts are actually normal. 
you know, we, we do need a certain kind of worrying. Um, a lot of mothers think, oh, okay, you know, my, my baby might drown if I put it and put the baby in the bath. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, we do have to have a certain kind of over-awareness that we're not used to having, you know, before we have a child and we have to say, yes, we're not allowed to leave a baby, a newborn baby in a bath without being supervised. So a certain amount of worry is actually necessary for parenting. But what happens when it becomes a kind of worry that we're not able to get rid of? We're not able to sleep, even though we're, we're completely exhausted. Um, our eating changes, we're not able to eat. We're supposed to be nursing a baby, but our, our, our eating is affected. It affects our milk. Um, you know, there's all these kind of things, you know, like how much of, how much of it is normal and how much of it is um, above and beyond and what can I do about it? But so, thing, I've known some, I've known rarely, but I have known some moms that, that were what you're saying, the opposite, where they were just, it, it stuck out because like, for example, my daughter was all of maybe, maybe five or six years old. And I knew someone who had a premature baby. And this mom had a number of children and this little, very delicate preemie. He was, he was maybe six weeks old or two months old by then, which is very young for any baby. And she basically, I wasn't there. My older daughter had taken my, my five-year-old to the park. And this mom just let my five-year-old change diapers, watch this child take him on the slide, just like, like not not safe in my opinion at all and she was a very relaxed very laid-back type of person but in my opinion that was that was not just not safe right so that, that little bit of anxiety should be there maybe that not that awareness should be there but not to the level where I have like what you're saying where I would get anxious I was worried um that I wasn't attending to every need that everything needed to be so that's already too much mm -hmm. So right, I think a lot of it is being able to find the balance and find on the one hand, I have to be anxious enough to be cautious and to be aware of my, my baby's needs and, and to be able to take care of my baby without putting him in any kind of danger. But on the other hand, we have to be able to be in tune with our own needs and say, okay, I need a break. I need somebody else to change a diaper. Okay, it shouldn't be a five-year-old, but uh, you know, maybe that was her place where she was just so desperate for a couple of minutes, you know, on her own. I don't know what, what her situation was. I, it happens um, to be her nature. I think she was, it was compounded by the fact that she was pretty desperate, but in right. general, that's just her nature. I mean, her kids just kind of, you know, just, that's just, that's right. just who she is. I've learned right. then. Okay. No. So the question is, you know, what, was she able to watch and make sure that everything was okay, that there wasn't any kind of, you know, no, she just left the, okay. Yeah. So she, she wouldn't come to me for anxiety. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> um, but then on the opposite spectrum, there's people that are so anxious that can't, you know, can't turn the thoughts off of what if this happens and what if my baby stops breathing um, when he's sleeping? You know, I have to go every five minutes and check that he's breathing because otherwise I won't be able to sleep. And then because I land up, you know, checking every five minutes that the baby's breathing, I don't land up sleeping myself. So when does it become, you know, it is a quite broad it's it's a continuum and you have to figure out how much of it is affecting your life how much it, how much of it is affecting the way you sleep um and the way you eat and the way you function on an everyday life you know if, even another example if we talk about babies that cry in the car they don't want to be in the car seat or they don't want to be in this in the stroller so you know you'll have some uh, mothers that say okay I'm, i can't let my baby cry so i'm not going to go anywhere but then she's feeling resentful because she's not able to go anywhere um, and then on the other spectrum, okay, you'll, you'll also have those mothers that are, 
we'll put the baby in the car and drive to Eilat and the baby will cry and scream for six hours. I mean, maybe they'll have anxieties about different things, but it won't be on the parent-child bond. On but it is good to hear from you that the, that the thing that gives us that anxiety intrinsically is good. That is what's making us a good mother. It's just the levels, just the balance. But mm -hmm. just like when you were saying the example about the snake, if I see a snake and I'm like, huh, poisonous snake, lovely. And I go and that's just not healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So to say, okay, this thing is coming from a healthy place. I don't have to get rid of it. I just need to work with it. And bounce, mm -hmm. you know, one of my children has epilepsy and then the doctors say she'll grow out of it. We'll see if they're right about that. It's called childhood epilepsy. And she can have seizures when she's sleeping. And, and hopefully it's under control. It just happens every so often if um, um, she's on a ketogenic diet. So sometimes when she has a growth spurt or something gets out of balance. And it happens as she's falling asleep or, or in that like stage of waking up or just sometimes randomly. And, and occasionally it's happened when she was awake. So... I fight that urge not to have her sleep with me constantly. There's nothing I can do. It's not technically dangerous, but mm -hmm. knowing that your child having a seizure is really scary, but having her sleep in my bed all the time ruins my sleep. So I've just been going through this whole thing mm -hmm. and sort of working on that balance of making sure that she's okay, making sure that she's safe if she should have a seizure. I moved her bed from the top top bunk bed to the bottom bunk bed and you know different different sorts of things like that but then saying to myself it's okay I need to sleep if I I went through time where she had a few seizures so I would have her sleep with me for a while and then saying okay that's enough a week two weeks I'm falling apart here I'm not going to be a good mother if I don't sleep so I've really been grappling with this even though she's eight and a half years old already not a newborn mm -hmm. but absolutely I connect with what you're saying Right. No, but your ability to say, okay, it is something I need to kind of keep keep an eye out, but I also have to be in tune to what I need and I need sleep. And you're, you're right, you know, without sleep, you're not going to be able to function. And uh, it's really important that you come to terms with that and say, okay, ideally, yes, she would have somebody watching her all the time to make sure that, you know, not to make sure that it doesn't happen. We, we don't have any control, but uh, to make sure that, you know, I wouldn't, regret not being there when it happened or, right. or whatever. I just want to hug her or hold her or be that you know be there for her for her to have to come in the middle of the night and and say to me you know she's she's it makes her mouth sluggish like oh she you know and it's I feel my heart breaks my heart breaks for this little girl you know mm -hmm. but having to walk myself through those steps is it's it's really challenging you know mm -hmm. so yeah right absolutely and it is, it's an ongoing changing thing. It's not, you know, I have to be attentive and, and close to her all the time, or I have to, or I have to sleep all the time. You know, you may also have to play between the two to make yourself comfortable and to make, to feel like you're doing as much as you can for her. You know, it is an ongoing process of the figuring out what's, what's right for right now and not thinking, you know, this is what I have to do all the time. Mm -hmm. That's also a healthy place to be is, is ability to keep moving and not necessarily be stuck on one specific way of acting. So. Yeah. What I have done is if she's gone through a growth spurt or there's been a change or she's had a couple seizures, so I'll put her in my bed for like 
three or four days. And once she has had maybe five days of no seizures, then she goes back to her room. And I just also have to just say, my friend said it. She said, see, it's a V that shows you you're not in control of seizures. Hashem is in control of seizures. And it's, it's, I also was the type of like, is the baby breathing? You know, it's the same type of thing. I'm a very, I don't know, maybe I'm a control freak. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's scary when you've, when you've heard stories or you've had experiences, you want to be able to, to, to be there for the people who you love all the time. Mm -hmm. And and it's not that way. It's just not the way. It's, it's, yeah, it's exactly that. It's passing responsibility over. Hashem decides, you know, what happens and, and when it happens and whether we're watching them, not watching them, if they're at school somewhere else, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's something that's not easy to go through, definitely not easy to go through for, for most mothers, but it is a kind of letting go and, and realizing that it's not in my hands always. You know? It's difficult to come to terms with at times, but... It is something we have to <laughs> realize we have no control over. I think it's part of our growing up process, which doesn't stop with age, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> There's always something new to learn and implement in your life, that's for sure. And to realize how our thoughts are affecting things that we do, because that's also a huge, uh, huge aspect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you see that the postpartum, you know, it doesn't stop <laughs> at a year. It's something that is ongoing with the parenting and, and bringing up children. And we'll always have one child who needs more of this, you know, parental anxiety or cautiousness or, um, you know, that they need more or at a specific time, they may be going through something and need more attention or, and it is, it's an ongoing um, figuring out of these kind of things and finding the balance that works for us and for our children. Um, and it's ongoing, it's, it's changing constantly. And it's, uh, you know, we have a, a partner, a husband in the picture and how's he influenced, you know, it, it all goes together. Uh, how he sees it often, you know, you know the parents seeing them, seeing the ways in, in such drastic different ways that they have to, you know, stop and take a look and see what's the right way. What, how do we integrate both sides? Um, yeah. I have a question about something that you said. Um, yeah. with, in terms of postpartum anxiety, starting mm-hmm. at the beginning of pregnancy and going to one year, the possibility yeah. of that happening. Mm-hmm. So was that sort of the medical definition? Because if I'm, you know, three months pregnant and I'm anxious, I would never think of that as postpartum anxiety or right. postpartum depression. So firstly, a lot of people that do, firstly, okay, I'll start with this, that uh, postpartum anxiety, for some reason, is not as well known about than postpartum depression. A lot of people have kind of heard of what postpartum depression is. Um, postpartum anxiety is actually much more common than postpartum depression. Um, it actually hits about 10 to 11% of the general population, which is quite a lot. A lot of people that do experience it have had some kind of episode of um, feeling anxious or having a panic attack in the past or having, you know, it could be an eating disorder or having, having something in the past that, that could set it off. Um, body image, you know, a lot of things can set off the anxiety. But in general, um, from the minute you're pregnant, you have all these different hormones. The brain is, uh, you know, you're building a new body and you have all these different hormones. And these things can also set it up. 
So, so this is the reason that it's called postpartum anxiety and not just anxiety. If you're anxious and you become pregnant, you'll continue to be anxious. But together with all the hormonal changes and the sleeping changes and the, you know, everything that goes along with the pregnancy, um, when it starts only from the pregnancy, then it's called postpartum anxiety. So what can we do to educate ourselves to know for having that to maybe prevent it or treat it? How does that work? So, I mean, a lot of psychiatrists recommend medication to treat the anxiety. Um, from my experience, you know, treating the anxiety through medication isn't the best way to treat it because it may help with the symptoms um, now, but it doesn't help long term. And uh, it is something that needs to be dealt with long term. Um, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, is the it's proven to be a really, really, um, um, what's the word? I'm thinking in Hebrew. <laughs> productive way of treating it that's not the word <laughs> effective um, sorry effective it's a very effective way thank you <laughs> of treating it um cognitive behavioral therapy is basically dealing with the thoughts that cause them they're usually negative thoughts and um those are the things that we hold on to we have uh, negative feelings you know get into the it's, it's basically a triangle so it's got the net the unhelpful behavior the negative thoughts and the, the thoughts that we come up with and uh, something is not working in that triangle and then you need to be able to treat those different aspects of it and that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is um, and they teach relaxation techniques and teach how to deal with break down the the thoughts figure out where they're coming from and be able to um, change those thoughts and also change the feelings that we often feel of helplessness and hopelessness and anger and irritability that comes up with the uh, feeling uh, anxious and and it all kind of goes together because as soon as you're not sleeping and you're not eating and you you're around the clock uh, taking care of a little one and you have all these um society's expectations of what a good mother is and you know what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to breastfeed and you're supposed to uh, uh you know go back to work at a certain time and you're supposed to be the most attentive mother you can be and all these high expectations of what other people and other and, and society expect of us that also has an effect of how we see ourselves and how we're able to um, get through this very sensitive time. Um, so it sounds like part of, it's not, I'm, I'm kind of hearing three pieces here. One is self-care, eating, sleeping, taking care of myself. One is expectations, looking at my life realistically and saying, is this real for me? Should I expect myself to, you know, be super mom, be supermodel, getting back to work, whatever it may be? Is this real for me in my life? How mm -hmm. can I be true to myself? And mm -hmm. and the third thing was what was that? Now I'm kind of forgetting. Mm -mm. With the anxiety, just maybe just putting that into. Um, sort of breaking down the piece. What am I anxious about? Where's my, where's my place in this? Because sometimes we can feel anxious without knowing why we're feeling anxious, right? There's mm -hmm. these overwhelming feelings. And mm -hmm. once we figure it out, oh, I'm actually anxious about this piece because of this, maybe something in my history or something I read, we can sort of um, like liftor. I'm also thinking, you know, liftor of the baya. We can, we can, um, we can sort of open this puzzle, right. and and then it, it demystifies 
this magical feeling instead so of in an, in an ideal world you're right if we're able to self-care and we're able to to deal with those pieces on our own um then we wouldn't seek help necessarily but if we're able to we're we logically know i need to sleep and i need to eat but i go and lie in my bed and toss and turn because i keep worrying about what's going to happen and what's you know if i sleep this is going to happen and if i if i you know all these worries that don't allow me to sleep then that's when i know i need help because when you're completely exhausted after having a baby and you already have to be up you know every two hours and, and feed the baby and uh, you can't stop worrying for those couple of hours that you can sleep that beca that begins to become a problem so one of the things we always tell mommies is when you're when your baby sleeps you should sleep and that way they get more rest you know let people take care of you allow people to take care of you but not everybody knows that so if somebody's in a situation where they are where they just they just don't know they just don't know so they can learn okay i should sleep more i should allow people to bring me soup i should relax and if that works then that can fix the problem but you're saying that if that's not enough if they know these things but the anxiety is is still there even though they're trying to do all of these you know self-care and things that's the point where they need to seek help you're saying. Mm -hmm. right absolutely because you know a lot of people will say okay yeah technically you should gain you should get help and you should if people bring you meals you should be grateful but then you'll have some people who feel like failures when people bring them help or they'll have these these negative thoughts about you know what it means that if people are bringing me help and they won't be able to accept it as a, as a gesture of, I'm trying to help you. You know, they'll have all these, um, they have mistakes in the way that they think, basically. And it could be also due to all the hormones and going on. And, and I don't want people to help me because then they'll see how, you know, my house is a mess. And I don't want them to have to come and bring me food. You know, there could be so many things laying behind that. So on the one hand, yeah, you say, get as much help as you can. Um, and, and sleep as much as you can. But it's sometimes... Too simple to say that sometimes you know people aren't able to do those things regardless of whether they know them you know logically they know them but there's something that's preventing them from from doing them absolutely absolutely i feel like when you're saying that that postpartum anxiety can begin in early pregnancy what what it triggered for me was um if you're if you're expecting a baby and what I did is I never thought about what would happen after the baby until I was after the baby. And then I learned with subsequent pregnancies, no, plan that way in advance. Think about what kind of help am I going to want? Do I want cleaning help? Do I want to freeze certain foods? Do I want to stock up my pantry? I, I'm more of a go with the flow type of person. I never really, I learned how to enjoy list making. I learned how to enjoy planning as an avoda, as something to work on through the years. But by nature, I like to just get up and, you know, go to sleep when I want to get it right. Mm -hmm. So then it would lead me though, after, after the birth to sort of be subjected to other people's whims. Mm -hmm. And and then you find yourself sometimes in a, in a space that you don't want to be. Mm -hmm. And that seems like that alone can be triggering the anxiety for someone who's, who's more triggered. Obviously, some people are just less anxious people by nature. I mean, different people are triggered by different things. Some people might be so triggered by what's going to happen in the birth. What if things go wrong in the birth? 
what if uh, you know the baby's not okay and you know they then they don't they're not able to see past the what's going to happen the first few weeks when i need food because they're so blocked on what's going to happen in the birth you know that's where all their focus and energy goes and they're not able to to plan ahead um you know different people will it'll come out in different ways the the anxiety and that's the it's very individual in how it does come out one of the things you mentioned was that if somebody has a history of maybe anorexia or anxiety or panic attacks before pregnancy, they're more at risk. Obviously, they should maybe, you know, take more precautions, learn about these things more. I see that even with my children. I have certain children who will say, mommy, I'm very nervous about first grade or what's going to be. One of my kids said, what if you and Abba go out and both of you die at the same time and and they started listing all the big siblings and everybody dies at the same time who's going to take care of me mm -hmm. and what's going to happen to me and where do i go and you know none of my other kids asked that so mm -hmm. it's definitely a child who has more of an anxious nature so that's at the same time some children may have an anxious nature but they won't ask those questions in a way you have to have a safe environment to be able to ask those questions and if you're able to give it back to them and say, yeah, you're right. That's a really scary thought to, to think that and repeat it back to them. Um, and you give a place to, to express those feelings, they'll go away or they'll, you know, they'll grow up and they won't feel that. But when you, as a mother, which is often what happens, get anxious um, by how they're asking and yeah, what if that's true? What if we do die at the same time? And yeah, you know, like I'm going to have to leave you by yourself and you get into this anxious cycle that will only increase your own anxiety and your child's anxiety. So when you're able to say, okay, that is a scary thought and, and, and say it in a calm way and repeat it back to them and get them to understand that it is a, a scary thought. And, you know, we don't, again, we're giving control over to Hashem. We don't really know what's going to happen. We're not, we're not able to say that's never going to happen. We're, we're saying it's, you know. It was good that for me, it didn't, it did not trigger anxiety for me, which was good. Right. I guess I didn't think about that. What I did is I, I said to her, you know, that does sound really scary, kind of like you said. And then we decided, well, which neighbor do we go to? Who's, I actually said to my husband, we should really make sure our will is in place because this child reminded me, <laughs> you know, I mean, we don't know what, we don't know what's going to be. And, um, you know, and it, it actually was a helpful reminder just to make sure. And she felt much more comforted knowing which neighbor she would go to who would take care of her, how she could get help. Um, so I guess it's good that it didn't, it didn't trigger anxiety, but it did remind me to, to get right, things. Right, you took practical, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I definitely have had all the things that you said though about worrying um, if my baby's breathing, worrying about, you know, even though I'm a midwife, it doesn't mean that when I was pregnant, I didn't worry about the birth. I would read, I was having a home birth, so one of the things I did is I printed off the internet a whole bunch of stories of free birth where people have babies with no midwife attending, which in my opinion is not something that's recommended. But I would read these on a daily basis because by reading these stories, my own home birth seems positively normal and boring. <laughs> and I was able to calm my own anxiety that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think one of the... I mean, I don't know how you work with uh, your clients that are pregnant, but I think one of the biggest thing you can teach them is that we don't know what's going to happen. And you kind of have to, you know, 
take it by stride and not have this expectation of how it's going to go because I think a lot of women do have this expectation of how the birth is supposed to be and then they get so disappointed that it doesn't go according to the plan that you know that's where all the issues may start because you know this is how I wanted it and this is what it is so it must be terrible if it didn't go according to the way that I wanted um, and we can we can say what we want you know that's important to have a kind of but we also have to be very aware that we don't have control we don't always know how it's going to go and we may need a certain kind of intervention we may need you know whatever it is um i think that is a kind of leaving it up to hashem again and saying you know we don't really know what's going to happen and we can we can do our best to relax ourselves and let it happen as, as much as we could but also not knowing being in that space that we don't know what's going to happen today we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and uh in a way that's kind of freeing, knowing that we don't have control over everything. You know, it's quite a lot of, you know, to take onto our shoulders and say, you know, I'm, I've decided it's going to go a certain way. And um, when you decide it goes a certain way and it doesn't go a certain way, you often set yourself up for feeling failure and feeling frustration afterwards when it doesn't go exactly according to plan. And um, not saying that it never does go according to plan, but a lot of people that have had quite traumatic birth experiences set themselves up to how it was supposed to go and then afterwards they weren't able to come to terms with the fact that it didn't go according to their plan and, and figuring out you know where they are in the picture and what it means what it means to them and about themselves so right i imagine like if you if you've decided to have a certain type of birth because you feel that it's best for yourself or it's best for your baby and it didn't go that way maybe that can already set yourselves up for feeling like a quote-unquote bad mother. So then if you're not able to, say, breastfeed or attend to your baby's every cry, it might only reinforce that feeling of, oh, I'm a quote-unquote bad mother, which right. can cascade into... Right. I started off a bit of a bad mother, so I am a bad mother, therefore I can't breastfeed, therefore I can't do that, you know? It is. A lot of our thoughts affect these things afterwards, and what I've determined in my head and, and whether it's based on reality or it's a lot of the time or it's just based on these kind of imaginary thoughts that we've told ourselves and they aren't necessarily true and there's no basis for them. And, and we kind of just get into the loop thinking these negative thoughts, which cause us to keep going in this anxious circle of, you know, how things don't work. So when you have your workshops in Renana, now you also work virtually, like we're, we're not in the same place right now. Do you also meet clients virtually or only through, only locally in Renana? I can do private uh, sessions on either on Skype or on Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, I can do that. And yeah, my group actually is in Hebrew. Um, I tried to interest the Anglo community. I didn't get any interest, but... <laughs> You know, I am interested in uh, opening a, an English-speaking uh, postpartum group, if, if that's something people how are interested long, in. How long ago did you make Aliyah? 12 years ago. That's amazing that you're running a group in Hebrew after 12 years. I mean, people might say, oh, 12 years is a long time, but it's not a long time. I made Aliyah 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I can, I can speak Hebrew, but I don't know if, I don't know if, I, I've never tried to run a group like that. Mm -hmm in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So, kolakavo, that's amazing. Wow. Wow. So, if someone is searching, what do you do in that group? Do you do anxiety or? So, it's anxiety focused, but it's basically everybody getting into their own emotions, in, into their own thoughts and how they, um, you know, I, I do the anxiety circle with them. So, basically what triggers us and what these thoughts cause us. 
and what kind of feelings you know are as a result of the thoughts and where I feel it in my body and we do a lot of experiential learning about what's going on um, and we're able to talk about them we're able to try and challenge them and, and try and break the, the cycle of anxiety and it's also a place to share because everybody's going through some kind of you know um, something that's preventing them from doing what they want a lot of the, the issues that come up are how do I get my child to sleep on their own? You know, going the transition from holding my baby in the arms, you know, to letting, you know, whatever it is and, and, and figuring out what works for me and what works for my baby and not necessarily going according to what everybody tells me. It's, it's also teaching people to become um, in tune with what's right for them and what's right for their baby and not necessarily what worked for somebody else. So that's, you know, on the one hand, it's very important to hear other mothers going through the same kind of dilemmas. Um, on the other hand, it's very important to know developmentally what's what's appropriate for a specific age and also what my instincts tell me as a mother and uh, and being in tune with them as well. So it goes together. Can you tell us a little more about the anxiety circle that you just said? It sounds a lot like the fear, tension, pain cycle we talk about in in birth. And I okay. think like I think I understood what you said, but especially for our listeners, if you could expand on that, it sounds like in a really interesting um, topic. Okay, so basically, you'll have the trigger, which is something that sets off what my thoughts are, and the thoughts. Basically, a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of what the thoughts are and what are me, what what's what's me and what's my thoughts. So the one thing is teaching people to differentiate between the thoughts. But the thoughts, basically, you'll have these catastrophic thoughts of I'm a terrible mother. I mean, I've discussed it a little bit before, these core beliefs of um, nobody's gonna wanna be with me if my baby cries or, or you know, those are the core beliefs. And those things basically, if we, if we do next to that, um, the trigger of the amygdala, the part of the brain that's, that makes us, you know, uh, react to danger. So it releases hormones and then it also tells us either fight, fright or, flee, or, or freeze. So either we can get very uh, irritable and we can and fight and, you know, you'll have a mother who will shout at her baby and say, just stop crying already, you know, you'll have, you'll have that. Or you'll have uh, someone who freezes and doesn't know how to deal with it. Or you'll have somebody who runs away and says, you know, I'm going to, I'm just, I can't deal with it. I have to leave. Or, you know, they'll do it very instinctually, not necessarily from a, from a place where they've thought it through. Um, and then it's connected also to the emotions of helplessness, of anger, of sadness, of whatever feelings are coming up um, that are as a result of those thoughts, and then the bodily sensations. And then what happens when we're not in the same situation? You know, we're supposed to be in a calm um, situation. For example, now the baby's not crying. I should be calm. But what happens in an anxious cycle is that I'm feeling like it's going to happen any second. And so I'm not able to get out of the cycle because I keep feeling that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in it again. I'm going to be in the trigger again. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to separate myself from anything else. Sorry, I should do a, like a visual and show you exactly how it works. But basically, it's, it's the ability to become in tune with all the different aspects that cause the anxiety and figure out where um, the anxiety is, even when we're not in a dangerous or fearful situation. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is that the, the baby crying in the situation, this particular mother thinks that if the baby cries, that means that she's a bad mother, let's say, right? So the baby's crying, and that's what you were saying earlier with the snake on the table, right? That crying baby is the snake. So that then is causing a, a panic 
of, of danger, not just, oh, the baby's crying, you know, mm -hmm. or I, I've been in houses where babies were crying and nobody even like seemed to notice. They just went on with their life, right? Because mm -hmm. someone else might think, oh, babies cry. That's normal. That's healthy. That's good for them, whatever. Everyone has mm -hmm. their own perception. The baby crying does not actually equal me panicking. The baby mm -hmm. crying is simply a baby crying. So mm -hmm. you're, you're defining that. Okay, so for one, for one person, the baby crying could be a trigger, but for the other person, a baby sleeping could be a trigger. And then, you know, you, the anxiety for the baby sleeping could be, wow, you know, I need to be able to check the baby every five minutes to make sure that the baby is sleep is uh, breathing. You know, that could also be a, a different kind of, you know, everybody will have their own trigger and, and different thoughts about what that trigger does. Um, and it's, it's breaking it down and trying to understand it a bit further. But if you, for example, I'm going to use your example of a baby sleeping, um, that's, you know, it could be potentially dangerous because God forbid the, pa the baby will have an epileptic attack or, or stop breathing or whatever it is. Um, and so you, in an anxious circle, you might say, I'm not going to let her go to sleep because I don't want that to happen. Or, you know, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to, wow, it's, I'm, I'm so anxious to, to put her to sleep, or I'm so anxious that something's going to happen that you're already causing some kind of avoidance or, um, you're already, something is affecting your cycle. If you know what I mean? Yeah. When, when a in a normal situation, when you're not looking at that, the person is simply panicked. So you're taking that panic and they're exhausted and they're stressed out and they're worried. You're taking that and you're breaking that down into the pieces. This mm -hmm. is really beautiful. I mean, this is amazing because it's not, it's, it's a skill that we use everywhere in our life. Absolutely. It's a very useful skill. And, and a panic attack is basically, we're not aware of what, what's happening to us. We're not aware of what's going. We just feel overwhelmed by different images or different feelings or different thoughts. And we're not able to break it down when we are able to break those things down and figure out, wow, now I know why I'm feeling that way. Now I know what I'm feeling. And now I know where I'm feeling it in my body. I know what's happening to me. Um, then we're able to work specifically on those different aspects and, and, and break them down even more and figure out how to work with each one. But the first step is figuring out how to break them down and they automatically become less overwhelming when we're able to figure out you know this is the reason this is why it's happening mm -hmm. uh years ago i learned um in Majesha de Muna, i learned to be like a parenting coach i, I didn't mm -hmm. finish my degree some things went on in my life and i dropped out but i learned a lot there and i remember the teacher was explaining to us that that same sort of thing where you know one of the i always remember one of the moms was saying how her daughter would throw pretzels on the floor and it would drive her crazy, right? And when we talked about what does that mean when she's throwing her pretzels on the floor? What is that meaning to the mom as a mother? All the different feelings behind that until she was able to just be saying, oh, there are pretzels on the floor. Sweep up the pretzels, put them in the garbage. All the emotion was taken out of it. And, and the whole problem just went away because the kid had stopped throwing the pretzels on the floor also because it wasn't getting the emotion out of her mother that she was looking for. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's bringing me back to that sort of mm -hmm. um, like move back. Cause it, when you, when you don't, sometimes like, like looking at your life like a reporter, right? Like, Absolutely. oh, there goes Sivvy. Look, Sivvy's panicking when the baby's let they crying or the baby's sleeping. 
why is that? Oh, what an interesting, just not even doing anything about it right away. Just realizing that you can, that you can look at it, that, that you and the problem and your emotions are not one. Because as you said, when you feel that in your body, it feels so real, right? You're, you're like demystifying, um, like something that feels magical almost. It feels like it has to be. And you're just poof, taking the, the, the wind out of the sails. And then it just mm -hmm. becomes a sleeping baby or a crying baby. Absolutely. And then you can start going through the steps and I guess getting to your, um, to your core beliefs, to your emotions, to your feelings. Mm -hmm. Wow, mm -hmm. so this is, this is definitely for raising teenagers. This is going to help mm -hmm. your moms, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's any age, and a lot of the time we'll have, you know, people will have one specific child that they feel more emotionally enmeshed with, or they have a harder time, you know, um, dealing with a specific cry or setting a specific boundary. And, and that's part of the, the work that we have as parents is to separate and know, you know, this is my child. This is what my child is trying to do. And this is what my child wants. And this is where I am and, and, and not to get, you know, um, confused together. And because basically when we are confused together and we feel the child's anxiety so greatly that we're not able to uh, calm the child down and calm ourselves down, then that's the biggest that's one of the biggest issues that we need to be able to separate ourselves from them. Uh, so you're bringing this to a, another level where your child's anxious about something and you feel so connected with them that you become anxious or upset about that. That's a whole another level. Whole level. And I, that's, yeah. I just had that the other day. My daughter um, was, she wasn't even upset about it. She told me something from school, my little one. And, and she wasn't really upset about it, but the thing she told me was about a girl who was mean to her. And she was like, oh, it's okay, mommy. You know, she was just, it was in passing, but it really bothered me what had happened. And especially because this is the same one with the epilepsy and everything. And she has so many things on her plate. And my heart was like on the floor. I was, I was in the morning and I was trying to get the kids off to school and I was trying to have, you know, a cheerful, happy morning. And I felt like my heart was like, I was having to scrape my heart off the floor. And I just sat for a few minutes and I said, Hashem, this is her path. This is her things. Every, she can handle it. It's not me. I was literally taking my hands and like pulling myself back in, into myself. And if I don't get the kids off to school cheerfully, then that's not going to help her have a good day. If I don't get them, I, I literally, I was so upset by what she told me that I just wanted to crawl back into bed. I just wanted to cry. I didn't, I couldn't even function almost. And I had to take those few minutes to get back into myself because maybe because of her, her situation, I do feel very, very connected. She's also my baby, my youngest. So I do feel that connection. And, um, and I waited. Once they were off to school, I talked to my friend about it a little bit, went through a little, you know, personal therapy session with my friend just to process that whole thing. And, and I was grateful that I was able to separate myself, but it's been, you know, years and years of, of training. She's the youngest of, of you know, my older oldest daughter is 28 years old. So I've had a little right. bit of experience and a lot of things I've learned along the way. I've learned cognitive behavioral therapy. I've learned, you know, parenting. I've learned so much. I've trained myself. But even for me, it was really, really hard. So, so for sure, when, when, you know, we're new at this and we're young, 
it's so hard sometimes to to pull back, get back into yourself, figure out where your part is. That's an amazing opportunity to sit with you and to be able to learn these skills as a young mom. I mean, that's just wow. Mm -hmm. Great, thanks for sharing. I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it keeps coming back in different uh, <laughs> different nuances. Yeah, I think I like I said, this is I think learning that we have our whole life. You know, my friend that I that I called, she's turning sixty, and and we always laugh. Like you don't finish, we don't finish learning these things. I mean, till Mizrach Hashem, we'll be learning till the day we die. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of a lot of learning in life, but it's really good. And it's, again, it's an amazing opportunity to bring this to young moms. I wish I had that. You know, if I could go back and, and give myself some of this wisdom when I was a young mom, I'm sure this would have helped me so much. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, now you can pass it over to other young moms that can <laughs> benefit from it. And that is why we're here today. Exactly. That is why you're there today. That's amazing. So if somebody is in the Renana area and they'd like mm -hmm. to join one of your groups in Hebrew or maybe get a group together, um, how mm -hmm. many how many women would you need to start a group in English? I wouldn't take more than six. Um, and then people can come with the babies as well. Um, oh, wow. So it's a nice small group. It's a small group. And yeah. you don't have to find a babysitter. So that's the best. Yes. And they can play. Oh, I love that. Like a mommy and me therapy yeah. self-development <laughs> thing. That's amazing. Wow. So we're going to put this in the show notes. But how do they get in touch with you? So either I can leave my email um, or my phone number and I have a Facebook page. I can, so I don't know how I can, I can link it somehow. Yeah, you're going to tell, tell us everything out loud now, but then I, you're going to give me all that information and it's going to be in the show notes, both on YouTube, on the podcast, everywhere that this is, this is playing. Okay. But okay. also for people who are more auditory, if you can just tell us out loud. Okay, so Leah Tipul, L-E-A-H. Tipul is T-I-P-U-L at gmail.com. You're welcome to contact me there. Uh, my number is 052-577-4748. And yeah, I have a layer therapy is my um, English uh, therapy page. You're welcome to. Oh, and I'm sorry. I'm going to have to go. I'm, the teacher's giving me a call. Oh, about your daughter. <laughs> Okay, great. So you can go because I'm up to the point where I'm just telling, I'm going to tell them how they can get a discount if they contact you. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to give away some free stuff, but you can go take care of your daughter. I hope she feels better. Okay, great. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. So if you contact Leah and you would like to have a session with her, I'm just going to make sure that I'm giving this the correct information. All right, if you mention Geula Mamas, you get a 50 shekel discount for your first meeting with Leah. That can be on Skype or on Zoom. And we have here today our magnets. Let's see, I've got two magnets to give away to you yummy, delicious ladies. The way you can be entered to win your Geula Mama magnet is by just joining our Facebook group. Everyone who joins our Facebook group can get a Geula Mama magnet coming by snail mail to your door, to your house, and it goes right there on your refrigerator. Um, I actually like to keep them on my front door 
and Israel, our front doors are all made of metal, so they're, they're great for keeping magnets on. So we have two today. First one says, whatever you do, just Kegel. That is from Tamara May, the phys physiotherapist. She was absolutely amazing. She taught us how to Kegel correctly. That was, I'm thinking, show three, I'm not sure. You can look up Tamara May. So that is her reminder to us. And we have a Geula Mama's affirmation. It says, I am so precious. Hashem loves me more than I can ever imagine. Just take that in. Whether or not you win this magnet, please remember that it's true. And I will work on remembering that it's true. That Hashem makes each of us and he loves us. He loves us so much. So if I'm picking your name today, we will be in touch and we'll get your, your address. We have a magnet for Bracha Nir and for Karen Yahav. Well done, Bracha, and well done, Karen. Yay! All right, so if you enjoyed what you heard today and you think of anybody this could benefit, would you please take a moment and share this with her? Actually, we weren't we weren't even directly talking about anything specifically pregnancy related. So you can share this with her or him. This could go to anybody who really would like some help with anything anxiety related. I'm actually thinking of a relative of mine who's male, and I'm going to share this with him because I think he could really use um, some of Leah's wisdom here. So if you can share this, and together we can do our part to bring the geula. Please go forth, have a great day, and remember that Hashem loves you, and I love you. Goodbye.